Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's the source of information for all things related to positive psychology, our concept of goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and wellness in general. Listeners to the podcast know that most of our episodes feature individuals who not only lead their own lives enthusiastically, but have different spins on helping us to lead our lives with greater enthusiasm, greater wellness, and hopefully greater longevity. Today, we are especially fortunate. I'm really proud to have Kate Huffman with us. I'm really looking forward to talking with her, finding out some of her answers to questions I have. Kate is an award-winning actor and writer and certified body image coach. Seems like quite an interesting combination just off the bat. Kate helps people to reclaim the time, energy, and money wasted on the endless war with their bodies so that they can live freely and confidently in alignment with their purpose. After a decade of professional work as an actor, her life changed when she told her story of 20 years of secret eating disorders combined with OCD and body chronic pain in what is now the award-winning world tour, one-woman show, I'm Too Fat for This Show. It was the experience of doing the show and seeing how universal the story was how many people out there were struggling with similar issues that sent Kate on her path to body acceptance and helping others through body positive coaching. People who have worked with her have indicated some of the quotes that I've seen is, her leadership and openness inspire everyone to dig a little deeper to a deeper level. Kate is so talented, not only as an actress, but as a writer, a visionary, and a storyteller. Her journey of living with OCD and eating disorders is applicable to anyone who has ever struggled with that internal voice, no matter how tall, short, fat, skinny, dark, light, feminine, masculine, young, or old you are. So I think you can understand why I want Kate on the show Really looking forward to our conversation. Kate, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a thrill to have you with us. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you. I didn't know you were going to read those quotes. (laughs) Thank you so much for that incredible introduction. Well, you obviously earned it. Now uh, we're going to find out why. All right. Uh, I was wondering, do you still act and write or have you transitioned your life in a different direction? No, definitely still acting and writing. The body image coaching and online courses, et cetera, has just been a natural unfolding as a part of my journey. And I couldn't be more grateful for it. And especially during this time when so much of live theater and live comedy and even productions has been shut down, it's slowly reopening, but it allowed me to put 
more energy and effort behind it and reach even more people. So that's been a silver lining if there is one to all of this. But I will be adapting pieces of the solo show for the camera shortly, and I'm still auditioning and writing on a regular basis. Great, great. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the show? Really interesting title. I'm too fat for this show. I can kind of guess what it's about, but can you tell us a little more specifically? Because I'm sure it's had quite an impact on a number of people who have Yeah, it's been amazing. So that title came from, well, it's a comedy, and hopefully the title makes people laugh. It certainly got a lot of laughs, although I did have some regrets about the title later once I was touring with it for a long time and started getting into body positivity and and fat neutrality and fat acceptance, which is to say that fat shouldn't be a negative word anyway. It should be a very neutral term to describe people. Tall, short, fat, thin, just a description of humans. Our society has deeply demonized it. So I had some regret about that, but I still think it communicates the heart of the show, which is to say I had this body dysmorphic OCD voice in my head constantly telling me there was a major problem with my body that had to be fixed above all else. So the show is about, so I had several severe bouts of anorexia and probably many years of anorexia between that, that I didn't think were anorexic, but severe orthorexia, eating disorder stuff driven by OCD. And I mean, I I see an overlap between OCD and eating disorders that I don't think is discussed enough. And that's that's a large part of what I cover in the show. But basically, it's just an unpacking of the life that I was secretly living, that I hid in deep, deep, deep shame, deeply ashamed of it. Nobody knew anything about it. But at a certain point, I felt that I had destroyed so much of my life, dedicating 20 years of it to following the rules of this beast, that I thought the only way to make any meaning out of my life would be to tell my story and see if it was of service to anyone. And it was terrifying, but gratifying in that, yeah, it seems to have been of service. (laughs) So that was the first taste of self-worth, perhaps, that I had had in several decades. (laughs) It's wonderful that you were able to transform in that way, but I guess I'm wondering, how does somebody do it? Did you wake up one day and say, this isn't worth it, or did you have years of therapy? Or, you know, I'm sure you represent a large number of people, some who, you know, in in my work as a psychologist, I see some who stay stuck in this pattern for a long, long time. How'd you break the pattern? So to be clear, when I did the show, I was not at all healthy. I was not at all over the eating disorder. That was not what the story was. That is not the victory in the show. I don't beat the thing at the end. I was just telling the story. And I think that some people really appreciated that. The victory in the show is just talking about the issue. So really the goal is just to remove shame around this because all of these preconceived notions that it's vanity, it's related to vanity, and it's it's all these things that those were the reasons I was ashamed for having an eating disorder. It's like, wow, she cares so much about how she looks, which is so far from accurate. It just couldn't be less accurate. I, When you're really in the thick of anorexia, you don't have the energy to put on makeup or even shower, really. It's so beyond that. It's, such a, it's just an obsessive compulsive beast you have to feed in order to feel worthwhile. So for that reason, I really wanted to tell the story. But telling the story and seeing 
that people did not judge me. Some did, sure, they're trolls, but most people did not. Most people were grateful. Most people were understanding eating disorders in a way that they never did, didn't know that with no body issues whatsoever, they could relate to what was happening inside of the head of someone with this. And that was great, but I was still living that life. And it started to really eat at me that I was kind of running around the world saying, do as I say, not as I do. And people would ask me how they could help loved ones who were struggling with the same issues. And I was like, I don't have answers. Did you watch the show? I didn't didn't win. (laughs) But that really started to make me feel responsible to finally figure it out. And as you said, some people never get over it because our brains get programmed so young to associate our value with the shapes of our bodies, to fear fat on our bodies in any capacity. That happens so young that our brains are so stuck on it. And the work that really helped me to finally let go of these toxic connections in my brain, what is thought work and mindfulness. And it's really just identifying your thoughts and questioning them constantly. Is this true? Can I be absolutely certain this is true? Is this something I would say to someone else? How would I feel if someone else had said it to me instead of me? And neutralizing those thoughts as much as possible to go from, I have a hideous body to, I have a human body, as simple as that. And that takes work. That takes a lot of work just to be able to stop your brain from constantly attacking you to just saying, you know what, it's a human body. And now that I have acknowledged my human body, I'm going to go, go about my day and spend a little bit less time focused on, on my body. It just, it's just such a waste of mental energy. So those are the tools that I discovered. And I got certified to coach and teach in it. And so those are the tools that I work with with my clients. And it is really impactful and effective. It's, it's so wonderful to see and to just know that I can authentically say that I love and respect my body is crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy. But if I can do it, anyone can do it. I'm telling you. Well, I'm certainly after a couple of decades of not doing it, it's, it's got mm. to be relieving. Well, as a psychologist, I know my next question is going to be a dumb one because it, we don't have enough time if we had double the amount of time to answer it. And I don't want you to reveal more than you're comfortable in doing so. But, you know, anorexia is a, is a life-threatening kind of disorder. Again, we grow up in a culture that values certain types of body images. What was there particularly about you? I mean, is it something in your background, socially, culturally? You think it's it's a all of the neurochemical above. disorder? I uh, think what, what? all of the above. It is a disorder that is often measured physically, but it can be very invisible. So I don't need to necessarily get into how physically small I might have gotten. But yes, this is a mental disorder that eventually takes a very, very serious toll on your physical health. But it starts in the brain deeply. And I had OCD as a child that went undiagnosed for many, many years. And I also was a larger child. I was, again, neutralizing the word fat. I was a fat kid that eventually got bullied, but I don't even think it was a social thing. The thing is, I was a very precocious kid. Here's the thing about anorexics. Typically, very often rather, straight A students, perfectionists, really good at achieving assignments, 
going to get it done. They are go-getting types of people. So <laughs> they achieve that a- assignment. And it's not really very funny. I apologize, but I've lived my life this way. So I have to laugh, laugh about it. And that is one of the jokes in the, <laughs> in the show. It's like, I'm going to get the assignment done. But mm-hmm. so yes, it feels extreme, but they do everything at extremes. We rather. And that's not universal. Everybody's unique. So I wanted as a 10 year old to be an actor. I knew this. And I was, it was the nineties and I looked on the TV and I saw that there was one and only one option. And it was an option I did not match. The term at the time was heroin chic. Every lead actress in any television show or film at the time was unhealthfully skinny, but our brains normalized that. My brain saw it. My brain said, that's a job requirement. Figure it out now because you don't match. And if that's what you want to do when you grow up, figure it out. Ah, and so I began to attempt to figure that out at age 10. And then I had this OCD brain. And as soon as, I mean, I was doing all these horrible fad diets. And the thing is, I lost weight and became instantly popular, which is funny. It was a very bad Hollywood cliche. <laughs> it's like number of friends and weight on the scale tipped precisely. But then after doing all these terrible things, my mother actually tried to an attempt to be helping me in an effort to make me do things healthier, showed me how to count calories. And unfortunately, I had a numbers-obsessed brain, and that then dominated my life for several decades. And once I learned that, you just push that number lower and lower and see how much you can do. And it just takes over your life. And then it's no longer about wanting to be an actor. It's no longer about it's no longer about anything but those numbers. And, you know, at the same time, you have to have a very deep sense of self-loathing so that that becomes the only thing in addition to straight A's, <laughs> the other false measurement of my self-worth that gives you value. And so that's how it takes over. And if I heard you correctly, it sounds like OCD is a very common kind of comorbid condition with anorexia. I believe so. So body dysmorphia, as you likely know, is a kind of OCD. It's listed in the DSM as as OCD, even though eating disorders are listed separately. So to me, that's like saying the obsessive thoughts that are dominating your life about, you know, it's just constant invasive thoughts you're just constantly feeling the shape of your body. You feel it on your body. You feel this false sense of swelling fat cells growing on your body. You feel it and think about it nonstop. But then the compulsive behaviors that you do to quell those thoughts then gets put under this other category that in my opinion, the reason I wrote a show about it or part of the reason gets unfairly judged and misunderstood and so on and so forth. So I believe that there's a stronger link than is often discussed because they are separated in that way. So that's really interesting. As I'm listening, I'm kind of wondering, does the OCD go away? Or I've heard that sometimes it just can get transferred to something else. So sure. that you're, instead of what you're obsessing about now, you're doing it about something else. Did you find that to yeah. be the case in your case? I do think so. I did weird things as a kid. I had to tap every object in a room before I left it. Like weird things that I think were fully transferred. I mean, I did other little things, but nothing that really interrupted my life or took over other than the tracking of many, many, many different numbers. And then 
I think because of my recovery involves a lot of meditation and a lot of anxiety techniques and medication as well. So I had these techniques easing me with my dealing with various things of anxiety and not really finishing the OCD of the obsessive working out and the obsessive restriction on food until doing the show and then learning about thought work and body acceptance and all of the falseness of this messaging that we get so young that we're only supposed to look one possible way if we want to do anything in this world. As a woman, it's like, first, be thin and beautiful. Then you can do anything you want. (laughs) It's like, you got to do that first and then go run for office if you want or change the world, do whatever you want. But first, go on a diet. That's how normalized it becomes. So I think that that slow, steady work with the background of meditation and breathing techniques and the proper medication for me has allowed me to kind of, I think, be pretty OCD free. And I only, I say that relatively speaking. I know that there are still things, but nothing that I believe is really controlling my life the way that it could or once did. So, yeah. And does the meditation, does that quiet the brain or what is the the benefit of the meditation or the breathing? Yes. Well, so meditation, my preference is guided meditations. I love to be taken on a journey. I will also do chants and silent meditations, but in 2013, I was in such a very extreme meltdown for a number of reasons that I needed a hypnotherapist to come just get me off the floor, basically. There was just a lot going on in that time. Like every area of my life fell apart at once and then my hair started falling out and I couldn't operate. So I have a ton of chronic pain as well. And I was crippled with chronic pain at that time. And that was the first time that I could see myself outside of myself. So the hypnotherapist kind of let me in this very relaxed, meditative, theta brainwave state, pull me outside of my body and look and assess myself from this non-judgmental place that I would look at others. And for the first time in my life, since a hint of self-love, a hint of understanding, oh my gosh, this person isn't worthless. This person is actually really kind and smart and funny and she's trying really hard and she's flawed. She's certainly flawed, but that makes her human and that is okay. And oh my gosh, I don't have to hate this thing so deeply. And so that didn't switch instantly. I didn't immediately wake up being like, wow, I really love me. I'm great, which I can today say (laughs) because I am great, darn it. But at that time, that was an impossibility. That felt so wrong. Saying a single nice thing about myself would be like saying that the earth was flat. It was so just fundamentally false that I couldn't have said it. But that began it. And once I saw that, even after the hypnotherapy was finished, just going on YouTube and finding guided meditations that can just take you to really peaceful places. It just becomes a thing that I began to crave. And in time, because that is where we do the real rewiring work, I could do that work at a conscious level. I could sit down, pretend to sit down next to myself on the couch and turn and look and see a person worthy of love, worthy of friendship, worthy of anything. And that was, that is in itself so very powerful. You know, it must be really, really gratifying to be in, in that place at this point in your life. Yeah. So it's now I just, it's more something I do every day to check in, to just remind myself of 
what's actually important, which is really just that we are all energetic beings that deserve anything we want in life or we're worthy, inherently worthy. I mean, there's so much out there that can make us feel like things are going wrong. Like there is no hope, like we don't deserve anything. And just that daily check-in of really quieting the mind returns us sort of to this neutral place to go start the day anew. And you mentioned medication. Is that for the OCD or was it kind of in the antidepressant or anti-anxiety category? I know it's an individual thing. It's not a focus of our show, but I was just wondering. Uh... Anxiety, I think, was the disorder would have been the official diagnosis when I was first pretty strongly medicated. I'd been medicated once prior to that during my first really deep bout of anorexia, but I hated it. I took it like two weeks. It was Prozac and it made me so nauseous. I would sit in class and feel nauseous. And my mom let me, I was like, I don't want to take this. She was like, okay. And then it wasn't again until I was in college when I had a pretty severe mental breakdown. (laughs) In another age, I would have been institutionalized that I was prescribed another SSRI that was very effective and helpful. So as you're talking, it raises a question that I suspect some other listeners may have too. I know that that there's an extreme focus on thinness and so on, but also from a general health standpoint, we hear that there's an obesity epidemic, you know, that body fat, belly fat can have an impact on longevity. I'm assuming that there's a point at which, you know, you can say, I, I love myself and I love the way I look, but am I doing something that's really harmful to myself while I'm loving myself? So there are a couple separate issues there. First off, the correlation between one's weight and health is not as strong. There's a correlation as opposed to a causation. There's just as much evidence that people in larger bodies experience bias and thus they live a more stressful life and are constantly shamed and bullied And that provides just as much evidence of stress the same way that people of color experience more health complications. So there's a lot of research out there about that. And there's a bunch of medical professionals created something called health at every size. People who subscribe to this philosophy do not use the number on a scale or certainly not BMI, which is just a made up number by an astronomer in the 1800s, to measure health. We look to actual more telling keys, signs of health. And if you have health issues unrelated, or if you have health issues, period, you may need to make behavioral adjustments, fine. And certainly it has been proven again that being active is very good, but you can't tell how active a person is based on the shape of their body, period, you can't. So no matter what, using the number on the scale as a determinant of health has been proven time and time again to be toxic, to have fundamental harm against a person's patients. Many, many people in large bodies don't even go to doctors because they are afraid they'll they'll go in for a sore throat and be told to go on a diet. Diets don't work. That's been proven time and time again. So in my opinion, that's a violation of their Hippocratic Oath, in my opinion, because you're telling, you're subscribing something, a medication that works about two to 5% of the time. Cool. Really cool. And by the way, if it doesn't work for you, it's your fault. That's Mm -hmm. essentially what they're saying if they prescribe somebody to go on a diet. So anyway, you can tell I have a lot of strong feelings about this. Removing the element of weight out of the focus so that a person can be treated 
without a sense of shame. They deserve to love their body. They deserve to exist peacefully in their body. And the concept that loving their body would cause them to want to engage in unhealthy behaviors, that's incorrect. We love our pets. We don't feed them nonstop, right? When you love yourself, you want to tend to yourself. So behavioral changes might happen. A person might lose weight. They might stay the same weight. They might gain weight. But the point is none of that should be what's the focus. And none of that should be what is measured as the indication of health. Okay, that's really a tremendous and enlightening answer and a really oh, thank you. good way to look at it, which raises the question, if somebody, I mean, let's say somebody is not anorexic, not showing any issues in that regard, or a parent raising a child, what's the appropriate attitude? In other words, let's, yeah. let's you know, I think with anything, whether it be exercise, school, there, there are rational yeah. ways that you do things and, and less rational ways. And I guess what's, do you have kind of a guideline for healthy living in this area? Certainly. Well, to raise body positive children is really important. And there are some simple things. Don't comment about the shape of anybody's body at all, period. Don't assign value to certain sizes or shapes and assign sadness to the idea of weight gain. And also don't talk about your own body. That's a difficult one for a lot of my clients or mothers. And it's challenging to raise the next generation up when we have these deeply seated issues. And also just going dieting, assigning morality to food. This food is good. I'm being bad. I'm having a brownie. I'm being bad. You are not a bad person for eating a brownie. There's no morality or virtue there whatsoever, even though our society does do this. So keeping all of that out of the conversation and instead focusing on what makes our bodies feel good, what makes our bodies feel active, what kind of movement is fun, not what kind of movement is a harsh punishment that we have to do because we had dessert yesterday. <laughs> Hopefully no parents are doing that, but you never know, you know? And just the conversation should be more about how it's making your body feel than about what is good or what is bad and whether a person is good or bad based upon what they're eating. Okay, it's a little bit of a subtle concept that I think can be a little challenging, particularly Definitely. for people who have grown up in, in the society that we've, we've grown up in. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like to the extent possible that body image, body size, things of that nature is really a neutral concept. There are yeah. th other things that we may be thinking about that, you know, it, it may be healthy to exercise, may be healthy to do certain kinds of things that make your body feel good. And body size, shape, and so on is kind of a byproduct of that as opposed to a goal to be you know, yeah. that. is that sort of what you're saying? Yes. I think if we could celebrate body diversity and all the different sizes and shapes of human beings, the way that we do trees, that's my favorite analogy. That's what makes trees so awesome is how different they all look. And no one's saying that all of them need to be palm trees, tall, skinny palm trees, which aren't even trees. They're pieces of grass. So when we look at the tall, skinny women on billboards, they're not actually human. Those are basically cartoons. They've been so digitally enhanced. So it's that 
kind of celebration that I would really love to see. And thankfully, Hollywood has started to do that. We have much more body diversity on TV. It's just as important as every other kind of diversity. Protagonists, there are female protagonists that are not the quote unquote thin ideal. They're just normal women in normal bodies being the lead of a show and not talking about the shape of their bodies as a bad thing, which in the 90s, that's what it would have been. It would have just been, oh, there's the maybe the fat, funny lady and let's make a lot of jokes about the shape of her body. That's a wonderful shift that's happening. We just need to see it more and celebrate it in our individual lives. Hopefully the time is is with you as more diversity is incorporated into our culture and, and yeah. you know, a greater degree of acceptance. Long way to go in a lot of areas, including Certainly. the body area. As you may know, while we have a broad age range of listeners, both because of my book and just some of the topics we've had, we do have quite a number of people who are in their second half mm-hmm. century of life. Any particular issues or advice that you may have for some of the the older listeners so we have? So some of my best clients are people over the age of 50 and have some of the biggest breakthroughs because that's how very, very long we can carry these stories around controlling the shapes of our bodies as a means of value. It goes way, way back. Looking at your body as a partner and even a superhero for all the things it has gone through and all the things it has survived and being a friend to your body instead of constantly being at war with it and constantly being frustrated with it and sending really hateful energy to certain areas of our body, just offering it the same respect you would offer any friend who's been through everything that you've been through and thanking it for all that it's continued to do for you. And instead of being frustrated at our body, if we have an ache or a pain or whatever, just being there with it. Oh, that's a bummer. Okay. I'm going to be here with you. Well, until this passes, or we're just going to do what we can do with what we're dealing with at this moment and not so much focus on trying to shame and hate it into changing and instead just offering it some love and friendship and partnership. It's really, really powerful. It's a subtle but powerful shift in mindset. Yeah, it's it's such awesome common sense advice. Hopefully it will be an easy shift for a lot of people to make because for many of us, there are a history of accomplishments and things to be proud of that uh, we don't need something to pull us down that that clearly is not something that should be valued or devalued. It's a part of us. Yes. That's great. I suspect we won't be able to get into this much, at least not in this show. We may have to have you back, but I, I do know that chronic pain has played a role in your life, and I don't know how much of it dovetails with the stuff we've been talking about, but also what other things you've been doing in that area so that we know a little more about you. And as I said, can't promise we won't want to have you back to learn <laughs> more, but I'd like to know, you know, chronic pain is one of those Those terms that means a lot of things. How has it impacted on you and how are you impacting on the chronic pain world now? Sure. So I believed, again, I had a very deep sense of self-loathing. So I believed I deserved and caused all of my pain for many years because I was working out too much. And uh, there's so many interesting things about that when I look back at my life that I 
imagined that an hour at the gym would cause a person to lay on the ground in crippling pain, imagining they were just going to die before turning 30. This is how I spent all of my 20s. But I did. And I had every joint in my body at one point gave out completely. I couldn't use my arms for about three years, although I would work out through the pain. I always worked out through the pain. Yeah. Nerve pain, crippling nerve pain, burning, shooting through my body. There were doctors doing tests on things, even though the whole time they would test me, they tested me for everything. I was like, no, it's okay. You can test, but it's not going to come up positive because I know what's happening. I'm doing this to me. This is my fault because I'm a horrible thing. Not to make fun of my old self too much. That's just my instinct, but I, I, I love and forgive say, You really did a job on yourself <laughs> for a number of years. So what is crazy is that doing this show, again, helped me give myself a break and start getting on the journey of recovery. And I had a couple foot injuries in 2018. And first time I couldn't stop exercising. I just swam every day because I couldn't use my foot, but I was going to not, oh, I wasn't going to give in. Even though it felt to me like the universe was saying, hey, listen up, you should start living the message you're traveling around the world doing. So the second time I was doing the work more deeply and was able to actually let my body rest. And from that point on, I was resting my body for the first time in many, many, many years. And I still had crippling pain for many months and I couldn't heal. And I finally thought, well, maybe there is something else wrong. And I very, very quickly after that got diagnosed with Lyme disease. So I probably had Lyme disease for a good 20 years, which is very interesting because that could have caused all the anxiety. It could have caused the OCD. It can even cause anorexia, which is such an intense rewriting of my life story that it is still difficult for me to process that. But it certainly eats your joints and your nerves and many other issues I had over the years. So first off, wow, what a relief. All that self-blame that I carried for so many years was so unnecessary. It wasn't actually my fault. So that was a big thing to process in treatment. And that's a, a whole big journey. It's a big old journey. <laughs> Mine is very complicated. But in terms of dealing with it, the thought work goes back to, again, being kind to your body, treating it like a friend, not forcing it to push through pain and not being frustrated if you're or trying not to. I mean, it's going to happen. But pain is very depressing and very frustrating. And rather than feeling like my whole day is wasted, what a lazy, I get up, get, work through this pain, get up and write, you have to, you got to get up. Instead of that, just again, saying to your body, look, if you were a dear friend and you're in this much pain, I would not ask them to get up and sit at their computer. I would say rest until this passes, do a pain release meditation, do whatever it is, and just you don't have to change anything. I'm just going to be here with you until this passes. And that peacefulness, that just accepting of the scenario really makes it pass faster often. But in any case, it's a much nicer mental state to live in. The more I hear about what you've had to deal with, the more I think you really, really should be very proud of what you've been able to accomplish. And oh, thank you. to now be able to spread the word to others and help so many others has to be a real, real source of pride. So as often happens in these podcasts, we run out of time before we run out of questions, but there are a couple of things I want to ask. First of all, if somebody chooses to work with you, 
and I suspect some listeners will, what will working with you look like? What does that entail? And then after you tell me that, you can tell us how we can get in touch with you, what products or, or things that you have to offer. So this yes. is your commercial time. All right. So I love working one-on-one with people and finding out the individual history of the thoughts that continue to plague them around their bodies. What's really wonderful is I, I am certified as a life coach, but my belief, the reason I focus on this is certainly for me and for my clients, what's actually hindering every area of our life are these body issues. So by getting to the heart of them, well, I'm actually able to watch my clients step up in all the other areas of their lives. We're able to be more present with their loved ones, more productive at their work. It just, it really just spreads across the board. Another option that I really love are my online courses that I teach with a small group. It's a course and discussion group, but the element of the group is really powerful because when women, and I don't treat exclusively women, but it is more common, but when people hear other stories it helps them so much in moving forward in their own. To know that other people who they might look at and think your body's perfect, you could never possibly have an issue with your body. To know that they've been carrying the same burden as they have been can really help people take a look at their own and go, wow, how unnecessary. I hate that these other amazing people are weighed down by this. So perhaps I don't need to be either. They hate seeing that I am. It's so cool. It's just cool to hear people get to share and experience. Sometimes just knowing the story is shared is so mind-blowing for people. So I'll have another one of those coming up here pretty soon. I do eight-week programs in that regard. But yeah, if you want to, you can always join my Facebook group, Body Positivity for People with Bodies. (laughs) Yes, if you have one, you are welcome to join us. We are on the body acceptance journey. There's a lot of free trainings in there, a lot of resources. And again, that sense of community is really powerful. You can find more about my services at katehuffman.com. And if you want to download a free guide that explains thought work more in depth and gives you five of my favorite tools, that's at katehuffman.com slash free gift. Wonderful. And we'll have all this information in the show notes too. But for those who are listening and may, instead of having OCD, maybe have ADHD and and not Mm -hmm. stay for the show notes, I believe it is Kate is K-A-T-E Huffman is H-U-F as in Frank, F as in Frank, M-A-N. That's correct. Thank you. Yes. Okay. And And if uh, you're looking on Instagram, I'm at Kate Huff woman. Just for the record. (laughs) Well, it was more interesting, I thought, than Kate Huffman 47 or whatever. Yeah, I suspect you may be the only Huff woman on Instagram. I might just be. (laughs) I haven't checked. But, you know, I I think anybody who's listened can see that, you know, Kate has so much to share and she's such a fun person. You know, you ought to check it out. And since all of us have bodies... Got an infinite audience to draw from. Kate, I just want to express, you know, how happy I am that you've honored us with your presence and with your information. Uh, It's really been a a tremendous show. I've learned a lot. 
you know, I thought some of this was kind of in my ballpark, so I didn't expect to learn as much as I did. And cool. grateful that you're sharing this. And hopefully you'll come back and visit us again because be I've to got more questions. Oh, I would be I would be absolutely honored to. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our guest has been Kate Huffman. Her contact information, again, will be available in the show notes. I hope that you will visit the Mental Health Gym for more information about wellness and positive psychology. If you haven't picked up your copy of Rejuvenating yet, it's available in all three formats on Amazon, both the paperback, audiobook, and ebook. And I hope that you will be back to listen to our next podcast with our next interesting guest. And certainly, if you have gained from these podcasts, I hope that you'll let people know that you'll download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and leave your comments. And with that, I think we're going to close and thank Kate once again and looking forward to seeing all of you and interacting with you as we move forward with the Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser podcast. Take care, everybody, and have a good day and a good week. Take care.